you have found your way into the secret clubhouse of the no pro review crew i'm noah nelson uh founder and publisher of no proscenium tonight i am joined by the review crew's elite cutthroat squad of reviewers who, who do nothing but make immersive creators cry that's that is not true <laughs> That's not true at all. Uh, joining us uh, in Los Angeles is the LA Reviews editor. Hey, Ray. It's Kevin Gossett. Also uh, joining us in LA is our arts editor. Hi, this is Laura Hess. And I don't even know where he is these days because he's our East Coast editor at large, which allows him to not be in a single city. All right. Uh, each week here on the crew, we get together and we talk about uh, usually like the the most interesting thing we saw that week. We'll put it that way. Uh, some of which are vying for the pick of the week, and by the end of it, uh, we hope to have a sense of what's going to be the pick, and then that shows up on the main show on the Friday podcast drop. Uh, all of you uh, only have probably about a day before you find out what that's going to be. Uh, this time out, uh, we spun the wheel, and kicking it off is going to be Blake. Blake, what uh, what is uh, what's on the list for you this week, and uh, is it potential pick of the week material? So I, I think it's definitely potential pick of the week material. I am bringing Journey to the Kingdom of Hypnos by Spectacle and Mirth. So this is a really well-crafted, well-written uh, pod play uh, that uses immersive audio techniques, original music, and a really carefully balanced script to take you on sort of a guided meditation to the realm of sleep itself, uh, diving down to that lowest part of the underworld. Not lowest in terms of, I suppose it would be the highest, to the shallowest part of the underworld that we descend every night. And so you are guided by Memnesine, the Greek goddess of memory, um, as she tries to inform you about some problems going on down there that I might get a little bit more into later and what really stuck out to me about it was just how clever it was how thorough it was and how engrossing and environmental it was so what you know there's so many versions of pod play um and maker knows that plenty of people pitch us all kinds of things uh what makes this stand out in the sense that, you know, we're all about the immersivity of things? First things first, I got to give kudos to the audio engineering on Kingdom of Hypnos. Uh, for people who were uh, big fans of Darkfield Radio, um, while it might not be to that degree of, you know, completely, you know, every last detail engineered, it's startlingly well done. Um, if you've got a good pair of headphones, definitely use them. The 3D audio is great. It, you can feel the swirling mists of the underworld around you, um, which take the form of a lot of really... What could have been kind of cheesy, you know, it could have ended up as those tracks you find at Bed Bath & Beyond of, you know, soothing nighttime sounds, but it manages to use a lot of these things people listen to to go to sleep, you know, rushing water, gentle mists, uh, even light traffic at one notable point. Um, 
to really create this really nice audio landscape. And the other thing that I think really kind of pushes it from just, you know, a fiction podcast, you know, say you're welcome to Night Vales of the World, um, is the way in which it engages the audience. I think that there's this very delicate tightrope when you're writing a pod play where either you are under explaining things and the audience doesn't quite know what they're paying for. And it's closer to maybe just, you know, a more standard guided meditation rather than an immersive experience. And then there's over description where it gets burdensome and the transportive nature of it gets bogged down in all the detail being added. And this walks that beautifully. It manages to have character and conflict and a narrative thrust that feels theatrical while still allowing you the space to breathe and fill it in with your own dreams and imagination, which is also really thematically central to the piece about sort of the competing virtues of the peaceful ignorance of sleep and the joyful but difficult uh, world of waking memory. Interesting. So like, I mean, I guess, who are you to the characters in the piece when you're listening? Because I think, I think that's often one of the, the, the things that people making this stuff have a difficulty kind of nailing. So I think they really did a smart thing in just letting you play yourself here. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the podcast begins sort of with a, a classic hero's journey summons that uh, Memnissi is actually quite sign is actually quite angry with you. She's she's pissed off that you've been ignoring all the signs. You've been forgetting the prophetic dreams she's been sending you, the synchronicities that have been dotting your life to guide you to this moment. And so she's she's come to have to take you by the hand to uh, go down to the underworld to see the trouble that's been brewing as the banks of the river Leith are overflowing. And that's a really good entry point Because while it does assume, I guess, some base familiarity with Greek mythology, which, I mean, let's face it, it's having a moment right now. Um, Hades was Game of the Year last year, and Hades Town had won the Tony right before that. Um, But it, it goes from that assumption of just, you know, you know they're gods, you know there's an underworld, and it manages to sort of step-by-step piece together the trail you walk to get to this place. The The title should be taken very literally. It is a journey, and it, it does a really nice job of having the liminal spaces of a journey and giving those room to breathe, not just having, you know, a departure and a destination. And so is this journey, is this, is it... Um... Is the design structured so that this is something that you are to listen to, like, just prior to sleep? Or is this, how, like, how did you listen to it? So, I will admit that I was a very bad boy. Um, <laughs> and it slipped my mind that I had to do this until the very last minute. And while I was super excited for it, I had just missed the link in my inbox. And so, I said, okay, okay. 
I'll take it as my coffee break today of all things. You know, I'll, I'll go to sleep before I grab myself a cup of joe to wake up. And I just found a dark, quiet room in my office building, slipped on my headphones and closed my eyes uh, during right before I heated up my lunch. And I had a really fabulous time doing that. It was this kind of, you know, stressful, hectic morning. But the piece assumes that you're awake. I think that you could get a lot out of it approaching it, you know, around when you're going to bed. But it is soothing enough at that and it also requires enough attention that I might actually recommend you approach it while you're wide awake. But the, the things it definitely requires are dark and quiet. Um, if you've got dark and quiet, any time of day is good enough. Uh, the goddess doesn't uh, assume you're in bed or anything. Like this one's running for just a little while longer, correct? Yes. Uh, it's running through July 31st. So grab your tickets now um and cross your fingers for an extension because i am a big fan all right uh, we're gonna keep on pushing on it it's part of a i think it's part of a festival uh out of cleveland so uh but maybe that just means it'll get to make a, a another festival stop on a, on a circuit it being a recording after all so uh yes pray for extension uh laura I believe you drew the next slot. Uh, what do you have for us this week? And is it pick of the week material? Uh, so I'm going to take us back to Las Vegas. Um, I definitely think this is pick of the week material, although I'm actually now very intrigued to do Journey to the Kingdom of Hypnos. Um, so this is over at Area 15, the new experiential playground in Las Vegas that houses Meow Wolf's Omega Mart. Um, this is about Cluster, which is an immersive sight and sound experience located within Museum Fiasco. And Museum Fiasco, it's in Area 15. It is a permanent art installation space. Um, and again, the current installation is called Cluster. Cluster is made by Play Modes which is a, an, an AV research studio. It's actually located in Spain. Um, and Cluster is, uh, so it's, it's within a 4,000 square foot mirror box. So fans of Kusama's mirror infinity rooms love this. Um, and it has, the entire program actually consists of three chapters. And there's an issue that I have with that that I'll get to later. So each of these chapters rotates about every 45 to 60 minutes. And you just walk in, um, there's nothing to do. There's nothing for participants to actively do. It's just to walk into the space, explore the space. And again, it's a, a light and sound um, experience that goes through a whole sort of range of tracks within each of those three chapters that I mentioned. So uh, I've got a quick question. I've seen the pictures and it, it looks stunning. What would you say elevates this to sort of a, a fine art experience as opposed to, say, you know, a 29 rooms or some sort of Instagram installation? Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, this is definitely the I love going to these experiences. I mean, this is something I've been doing long before NoPro uh, whenever I could. And um, and I think 
so much of the work out there is really fantastic, but you do run into a different uh, kind of end of that spectrum. And I, I mean, I will throw this out with the caveat that 29 Rooms is, is branded, is a branded experience. Um, so there is that difference, to be fair. But I also feel like, especially with the most recent 29 Rooms that I went to, which I think was 2019, um, there, there can be a real, I think especially when you're focusing sort of more on just like light and sound, it's really tech driven. I mean, you know, very, very sensory driven, but it really does have to be thoughtfully designed. And that sounds like a, a maybe a gross oversimplification, but I think it's really worth unpacking. There's so much that at, again, in my experience at 29 Rooms where it really did feel sort of surface, even if that wasn't necessarily the intention. I think there were a number of like wonderful artists that have participated in 29 Rooms, but I think that whatever the brief is or whatever the brand limitations might be, um, it doesn't feel like you can really either A, get into any real immersive sense, and B, it just doesn't necessarily feel like there's a lot of depth. Um, I feel like it's the exception to the rule in the case of something like 29 Rooms. And in this case, it felt um, it, it felt really expansive is maybe the best way that I can describe it. It's, it's meditative, but with an edge. You feel very compelled to, to move, not just to dance. I think I mentioned this in my capsule review. There, there's a real sense of wanting to move through the space and to, and not just from an exploratory standpoint, but to like really feel your body moving in conjunction with this light and sound program. And again, it goes through some very intense moments. It settles um, a content advisory that I should throw out there though, that it, there is strobing. So for anyone that has any issues with that, um, that's something to keep aware of, but it is, um, it really does allow you to settle into, you know, we're talking about journeys and there's a very high quality journey that you can go on with this that doesn't involve a lot of thinking. It's a, it's a wonderful complement to all of the narrative, um, you know, sort of complex narratives that we might see in other productions. Let me, oh, go for it, Kevin. <laughs> oh, obviously, can you kind of like, explain a little bit more about what like happens in the space because i'm not i'm not 100 percent clear yeah that's yeah. a great point i should have explained that a little bit more so so you do have this four thousand square foot mirror box but in in the midst of all of that which and, and it is very clear if you look at the photographs so there are these columns there are columns throughout the space but other than that it's open there's there's no sort of props there's no furniture nothing like that but there are these columns and then there are um, led strips on all of these columns and so, and there's some, um, you know, kind of fog machine work in there. So you have this like wonderful misty sensibility to the air. And then, um, so there's, there's music and sound effects, and there's even some spoken dialogue worked into that. So that's the, on the audio side. And then the, um, the LED lights, they're synced to that. And so there's, again, there's strobing, there's pulsing, there's, uh, it's the, you know, number of different colors. Um, there's total darkness, there's bright light. So you go through this program, and this is where I'll also flag my one issue, 
is that I only got to experience one of the three chapters because it, while I loved this experience, I was not going to stay in it for three hours. So I do wish that the chapters were shorter. Uh, maybe each, each experience is an hour long? Each chapter, yeah. So the, oh, the full experience wow. is composed of three chapters. And each chapter is about 45 to 60 minutes. Um, that, those were the numbers I was given. So I did not stay for a full 45 minutes um, in the first chapter to get through. I also had other timed experiences at Area 15. But so, yeah, I do wish that the chapters were more like 20 minutes. You could really get into that chapter. You could cycle through it a couple of times. And then you could experience the other two chapters all within a reasonable time frame. Yeah, because I was say that just sounds like a lot of time to spend in like a very light and strobe and audio heavy experience. Yes. They expect you to sit in there for like three hours straight. Yeah, I can see why exactly. you want to do that. No, this it's, is, it's very intense. One, so, yeah. This is the one thing at Museum Fiasco. Like, there, are there, is there anything else in other rooms in Museum Fiasco, or is this, is this is the installation? Yeah, no, another great question. It's this is the installation, and they will rotate the programming. They will have other installations, but this is Museum Fiasco's presentation right now, is this one installation cluster. And again, it is, it's, it's very large, it's, it's, and it's wonderful to be in there. I was in there alone. I was in there with other people. Um, it's a very intense and, and really rich experience, but yeah, you can't stay in it for three hours. And, and you can't leave and come back, right? It's like, a, no. Like a, yeah. So like, it's got the parking garage rules where it's like, yes. no, no, in, no, no, ins, no ins and outs. Exactly. Um, and how much? You, uh, you cost wise? Remember? Yeah. Do you remember how much? It was? Uh, yeah. Very affordable. $17. I thought it was so worth the ticket. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I highly recommend it. It's um, and I, I would have loved to have seen the other chapters to know how intense those were. Because again, I think then you've got more leeway to really explore taking someone on a journey of like building up because it does get very intense. But the chapter that I saw, I don't know, maybe that was the most intense one. Maybe they're all sort of equally intense. I would be really curious to see how those pair together. So we're not going to ask this question right now, but I'm going to plant it in your mind. And when we do the team speak episode, of the show next month. Also, by the way, y'all, we're going to do a team speak episode of the normal podcast <laughs> next month. Just informing you guys what your lives are going to be like. This is how I roll. Um, I'm going to um, flag for me that we're going to come back around and ask you when it comes to the art side of things, what is it that you're chasing? Because mm. the way you spoke about this stuff, and I think it's a really great one, particularly with, you know, we've got. We've got a whole piece about the kind of immersive art stuff, the business of it, mm -hmm. like Go and the Super Blues of the World, all of that. That's on the main podcast this week. Ricky Briganti put that together for us, and we've got people from from each of those companies. But I'm since you're our arts editor, we're going to come around at some point. We're going to ask you what it is you're chasing. So just mm -hmm. just be thinking about that, uh, and know that your turn is is coming. I love um, it. And now we're gonna we're gonna slide over to Kevin, who's next uh, in in the order. We've got four tonight, by the way. I'm I'm last. We're saving the worst for last. No, n me being the worst, not the thing I'm talking about being the worst. Don't misinterpret. Uh, Kevin, what do you have this week? And uh, and could it should it be pick of the week material? So this week um, I've got baseball, which probably should not be pick of the week yet. Um, it's in the middle of the last season of a major arc for the um, the game, which is what it is. It's a browser-based 
place baseball simulator. It's also a horror game. So right now, what's happening in the game in this final week of this era is teams are. Uh, it has I don't know, like twenty four teams in it right now. They are traveling across the immaterial plane to escape from the uh, sun. Sun, which is a square sun um, that has gone supernova. So teams are trying to pilot across the immaterial plane to safety, whether that's in the desert, the uh, hall of flame. The a black hole, black hole, or a um, the vault. So that's kind of where it's at right now, which is a uh, bizarre spot to be in, I guess, for a what started out as a baseball simulator. Um, Wait, so I okay, can I jump in already? Like, yeah, please. <laughs> okay, I know that you, Kevin, you have expertise and so much love for both horror and and you've talked about baseball before. I am still not completely sure like what blaze ball is like how i would participate how i would ex what i'm experiencing and then i also have specific questions about where you're at right now <laughs> all that all that that shit i just said um <laughs> yeah so it's it is a it's a browser-based horror simulator sort of but it's also like a community building simulator where you it runs these baseball games um, on what's called the Immaterial Plane. There's a bunch of different gods. There was like a peanut god that started in the uh, first era of the game, and now there's a coin god. And part of it has always been like a critique of of capitalism and sports and the way those kind of things interact and and how they kind of affect both the people around them and the players that play those sports. Um, so there's a couple different ways to engage with the game. The main one is through what was originally betting on this on on the different games, which has kind of changed in ways to like idolize different players and ways to get money so you can influence the your team and the league overall by voting for um, wills and then other kind of things that affect the league and and your team. So some of those are like, wide ranging with like the one that put the like some of the black holes into place um that was the thing that happened at one point some of them are smaller which is like moving a player from the lineup to the rotation so your team is stronger and can win more um you can hop in on the website which is just baseball.com this is a truthfully a really bad time to hop in like i said it's the end of a whole story arc um things have gone to complete hell and it's it's very hard to i think probably uh, understand what's happening on the site right now. Um, but it is a good time, and I think it's it's doing some very interesting things. And I, the reason I do talk about this is I feel that it is kind of immersive in the way that these characters and kind of appear on the site and the way you kind of engage with the game. It doesn't feel like a normal simulator because there's kind of these, these otherworldly elements to it, and the characters do kind of... They show up and they interact, and actually this in this like last week or so, some of them gotten a lot of kind of character development as far as they go which is is wild for again a baseball simulator what started as one and is now something off in its own world um, i understand like your major attraction to it is like it's got that long form arg storytelling baked into it along with this kind of core you know relatively simple game mechanic at the heart of it but it, like, it's not really about that baseball simulation. It's about this big world building act that they're doing. And they do give you some tools, but those tools kind of like can affect the world in ways you don't quite understand, which is also the way some of the 
larger ARG leveraging immersive theater pieces in LA have done over the years. Am I wrong? No, that's that is that is very much why I'm interested in it because it is that kind of long form storytelling that is an ARG and it's using this again. I keep coming back to it: a baseball simulator to tell these kind of long, complicated stories involving capitalism and critiques of sports and the way people uh, even voting and elections and how people come together to kind of work around those things. Um, it's and it's also just deeply funny at times. It gets this season got really ridiculous because it's the expansion era, so the the Coin, who is the main god of this era, like a, a capitalist, and she's just piled on rules and different things to achieve her own end. Um, so there, at some point, like people have implemented um, grind rails into their their baseball parks. They've implemented hoops. So sometimes um, someone will hop on a skateboard and grind from first to third base, or They'll go up for a dunk after they score a home run to score extra points. And it's all these kind of ridiculous things. And then also part of what's gone on in this last era is things. Uh, occasionally players are incinerated by rogue empires where they're just killed. Um, so what happened is is now with the, the sun has gone supernova and they can um, just uh, toast your whole team. So a couple whole teams have just been destroyed in the past week. Oh, how are the talkers um, doing? The tacos are still alive, and okay, I think good. we're actually doing okay this this. Oh, really? We, we sucked. I, I played at the very beginning. When Blazeball first showed up during pandemic, uh, very popular with like the Waypoint radio folks, and like I kind of followed them. They get me into all kinds of financial trouble. Uh, and, and so I, 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 I tapped in for a second to Blazeball uh, long enough to uh, you know pick the hometown team, the LA Tacos, who became the Unlimited Tacos, who have a very sweet infinity symbol taco logo now uh, that uh, if I was a man of means, I would own a baseball cap for, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> yeah, they're notoriously bad. And then actually won a championship. Well, they're I they're think. so terrible. They're so terrible. No, we're good. We're good now, man. We won a championship like uh, seven seasons ago. Well, and you, you mentioned seasons. How yeah. long is a season, right? So the expansion era, the expansion era feels like it's been running for like a year now. It's been running the longest. It's running, it started in season 12 and it's run to season 24. Um, oh. it, it took a long break in there. So around October of last year, I think the, and I think this is, is notable too, as far as I think creators designing an ARG or even experiences as far as immersive, they realized it wasn't kind of sustainable the way they were working and they took some time. They're like, we're just going to, Stop putting the game out for people. We're going to take a break, kind of retool the game and make it more sustainable for players and people to engage with and for the team working on it to not burn out over the course of this. Because the seasons run from Monday morning to usually Sunday morning. Um, so the games typically run from Monday to Friday. Playoffs run Saturday and Sunday. Or Saturday, and there's an election on Sunday where kind of new rules take place for the next one. Um, right now they're in a two off, no three on, two off um, type thing where they'll run it for three on seasons, take two seasons off, and then come back for more. Um, after this season, they're going to take an unspecified long break again to, um, I think, kind of gear up for the next era, and I think probably find a way to to make this more sustainable because it does. It feels like a lot. It's very hard to kind of like keep up with, and which again feels like some ARGs where it's like you have to kind of be paying attention to it all the time. Um, which can be frustrating um, and you feel like you're missing something, but they've also implemented some things so you can catch up on the site instead of having to dive into the Discord 
or kind of other fan run things to get a feel for it, um, which I think has helped. And they kind of have, have scheduled things where it's like, you know, something's probably going to happen Sunday morning, sometime on Tuesday and sometime on Thursday based on some of the things on the, the schedules on the site. And, and to be clear, a season is a week. That Monday. Yes. Yes. Sorry. Cycle, yeah. Is that that is that is a season. So it's like three weeks on, two weeks off. And now they're going to take like a nice long break. And yes. No, I think your your point about, you know, they're they're doing some deep modeling of like what sustainability looks like for alternate reality it's interesting because like i'm I, i've been learning of late you know some of the the other parts of the arg world and i think we're going to be doing some more dives in into that space uh, there's a few things I'll, I'll mention like off off the air to you guys um and and blazeball definitely is doing some serious modeling here about what sustainability looks like for this because the number one thing that's plagued arg since the beginning of the form which honestly like 20 years ago, I think like basically this month or this coming month, like that's when, um, maybe not even that, like AI was like 20 years ago and that was Cloudmakers and Majestic was hitting around the same time. So maybe it was even longer, maybe, maybe last year was the 20th anniversary. We're coming, I only know because like it was running right up to 9-11 and so 9-11's 20th anniversary is coming in like two months, which is weird. Um, so this forum has been around for two decades in and that the people who created the form are still very active they appear on our show um and 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 yet the sustainability thing has been the problem from jump yeah and i think like i said i think they're working to solve it and it's again like this season like there are so many fucking things happening that it's hard to like keep track of and it's like kind of got an eye on it where you're like trying to work and it's like my team survived and my team get incinerated um and now just yeah like having to kind of vote on, on the regular to keep your ship moving across the uh, immaterial plane here is is a, is just taxing. And I think they don't want people to kind of be that engaged. I think they want to encourage breaks, but it's also hard to kind of like when things are being big and dramatic and what they've been building to for at this point, 12 seasons, it feels like you want to like be a part of it. Um, so I think that is kind of, it's always that kind of push pull with an energy. It's like, I want to, I want to experience it, but um how do you experience it all the time without feeling crappy? All right. Well, now, now it's it's uh, fallen to me, the long-winded one. Uh, and what I have for us this week, uh, also, I, I, you know, from a from a technical standpoint, I would say could be pick of the week material, but I think we'll get into something that I think takes it off the board for that. Uh, and that is the. Uh, Viva Las Vengeance VR experience, which at least here in LA is currently at the Westfield Century City. This is a marketing activation for uh, Netflix uh, Army of the Dead. It is a full-on VR zombie killing simulation for up to six people, ideally six people each time out. Um, all you know what's what's great about what they've done here is they've done this full build out on the roof of uh the century city mall the westfield there and they've got like a big maquette of the zombie tiger and there's a speaker nearby and it's roaring and it's just like gorgeous uh there's there's uh the speakers are running like helicopter sounds uh, above to in order to like create the vibe of the uh encampment just outside of Las Vegas like on the other side of like the wall where all the the zombies are have been walled in so just to be certain 
Army of the Dead is the Zack Snyder zombie heist movie set in Las Vegas that dropped, I think, in June on Netflix. So it's a big budget film starring Dave Bautista. I watched it. I liked it. It was actually fun. It was definitely a zombie movie, even though there's some like twists on the zombie zombie genre into it. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's a mostly brainless zombie film, but there's a bit of heart into it. Uh, I, I, I don't despise Zack Snyder as a director. I it's, he's really hit and miss for me. Um, when he's given, when he's basically, usually when he's like allowed to just do whatever he wants to do, it, it's at least entertaining. And here he was pretty much allowed to do whatever he wants to do. The strange thing is, is that the movie functionally is really like the end of this story of a zombie outbreak, like a fairly definitive end. Well, not entirely. They, they, they set up a sequel, but there's all the stuff they're doing right now, this VR activation, there's another movie they're dropping that's about uh about thieves uh like the, it's all about the safe cracker who's in it all of this stuff is done as prequel material and so this vr game is a prequel to the um to the movie you're essentially living in the time of the credit sequence of army of the dead which is when Dave Bautista and his team are driving around in a taco in a in a modified taco truck into Las Vegas and doing extraction mi missions as the zombie outbreak is in full flow before the federal government decides to nuke Vegas and just be done with it. Um, so that's when you are. It's a very fertile time for this story. And the setup, they've built like a full motion simulator ride um, that you stand or a couple people get to sit in and you're using Vive Index, so you're you're you know you got some trackers on your hands. You've got a gun prop you pick up, and you're you're shooting zombies out the side of this taco truck, and it's shaking and moving, and like the haptics are really good and very convincing. Like I don't know if it's full ride simulator or just the floors are moving, but there were definitely times I was like, wow, we're we're in it now, um, and the the the, the setup to it is like really elaborate with helicopter noises going overhead and just like gear everywhere. And you just feel like you've walked onto the set of this movie and, and then, you know, you, you walk through a doorway and you get kind of a very void like briefing. And then you, you walk a little bit more and you see the gear as it is. And uh, then it's like, you know, a shooting gallery on haptics. Uh, and it's the kind of thing you might find at an amusement park. In fact, in some ways, it's better than some of the kinds of stuff like this I've done at amusement parks. Uh, so from a, from a technical standpoint, you know, it's going really solid, really, really solid. When it, when it comes to a zombie game, I think it's always like, what are, what are the zombies about? Are they, are they fast zombies? Are they slow zombies? Are they creepy zombies? Are they just kind of like a lot of zombies? Can you, how does that play into that kind of whole experience with like the actual playing and the movie and just kind of your overall thing, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is where things get kind of, really do get interesting because like you know the movie itself plays around with the zombie mythology um you know they've, they've done a lot of thought about that it's 
you know, it, it's the movie starts with like, you know, there's an outbreak f basically from like Area 51, like Area 51 had a zombie, it gets out, it infects military guys, and then it causes a lot of havoc. The, the whole opening sequence is just really this hilarious, but also horrific, you know, watching Vegas get turned as all the tourists are turned, as the showgirls are turned, the Elvis zombies. I did at one point shoot an Elvis zombie in the head. I was, I'm happy to say that that, you know, check mark there uh there's just hordes of zombies in this one and indeed in the in the movie part of one of the plot things are there are these like intelligent fast zombies kind of show up uh and they have a pet tiger um you know one of Siegfried and Roy's tigers is a pet tiger there's an intelligent fast you know zombie tiger maybe it probably shows up in the game uh, you know spoilers um What's what's kind of funky is I mean at a certain point it gets a little tedious just like shooting gallery shooting gallery shooting gallery tedious enough that you could just start like paying attention to details and noticing and what I noticed was that as the game went on and we got into kind of like the 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 the, the aggressive fast zombies at the end all of the character models for those were like predominantly black and brown and that was just something i just could not unsee once i saw it that like the final horde was just black body after black body hurling itself at the truck and you've got to like blow them away uh and that was like super super clear on this like that's not they're, they don't look black because they're like decaying or they're the like oh worst. no like yeah black, okay black okay. skin black skin right these yeah. these were these were clearly black people who had become Zombies. I mean, it's all it's all CGI, right? Like right, it's, right, it's right. video game graphics, right? So it's not it's not like you know a recognizable actor or anything like that, you know. Like, um, but it's it's definitely one of those things where it, you know, particularly because like it you know it was a grind at a certain point. It's just like okay, I've shot people like a lot now. Like okay, I get, I get it. Like the haptics are really cool, but I'm like, I was like, oh wait, all the fast zombies, all the more aggressive zombies are like, oh wow, okay, yeah. And the thing to me that was particularly weird about that were two things. One. In the context of zombie video games, there's like a whole massive discourse around Resident Evil 5, which was set in Africa, and just really played into some like bad stereotypes at the time. And that was that was one of the first major discussions uh, in the video game discourse about sort of the way that you know people of color are are depicted in games and and just just lots of stuff to unpack there. We want to unpack there. Uh, you know, the, the the most the person who kind of like, you know, did, did a lot of great crit critical work at the time was Ngai Kroll, who I think was still writing for Newsweek at the time. Like he's a he's a, a consultant these days, and Ngai is freaking great. And he just really kind of called Capcom on that, and that had some that I think I had some reverberations, right? Uh, maybe not as many as everyone would like. Um, what was, but what did strike me as kind of weird about these models being used in this game in that way was that the movie did not have that as like remotely an issue. The movie, and, and I would say Zack Snyder as a creator in particular, if you, if you particularly, if you look at the discourse around Justice League this year and around sort of the way that, you know, the Joss Whedon version of it really sidelined Ray Fisher, who plays Cyborg. And in the the Snyder cut, I just said the word Snyder cut, but in the Snyder cut, um, no. Ray, Ray Fisher is like the emotional heart of the movie, and Cyborg is a is a you know he's a he's a black character, he's a he's a black man. Um, 
and and Ray Fisher does a really great job. So much so, if you watch those two movies side by side or in close proximity of each other, it's just glaring like how much this dude was sidelined. So it's it's not something inherent in the property in the franchise of Army of the Dead, and it it really stuck out as a sore thumb uh, in like the third act of this game that that we were in in that dialectic and I, I hope for the developers of the game and i'm you know which these things have a lot of moving parts so you know the people who stood up the the attraction like that's one team the people who probably built the simulator ride that's another team you know i would hope for the sake of the people who made the game that this is you know uh how do we put it politically a sin of omission if you will uh and and not something that was you know deliberate on their part i would bet that but it also speaks to like how far we have to come as a culture before part of the process is like oh should all the should all the really fast aggressive zombies at the end be black like does that does that feel weird to anybody i, I mean that, I, i'm yeah. stating the obvious here but like i yeah. just i really do not understand how this went through I mean, I think it's emblematic of the problem. Um, so there's that. But I, I, I'm just, I'm genuinely very surprised that this was not flagged or noticed by anybody. I mean, give, so I give, oh, Kevin, go for it. I was saying, I think it, like you said, even if it wasn't like intentional, it's one of those things that speaks to the, I think, the importance of like diversity in art of all kinds, whether it's immersive or theater or. Uh, even VR to to kind of have people that be like, hey, what the hell are you doing? Like, this this isn't coming off right. Um, in the case where it is hopefully unintentional. Um, yeah, and and I and I would say because of the way that the franchise is structured, right? You know, like there are there are actors of color uh, who are in you know critical roles. They're 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 the leads. They're the sympathetic leads. Um, there's even, even in the game, like there's a, there's a black woman who's, you know, driving you around and she's like one of the, one of the team, you know, she, in, in, she saves you like, you know, in, in the end is part of it. Right. Uh, the, the leader who you're briefing from is uh, a Latina woman. Right. Um, and all of that is, that's what's weird to me is like the franchise, you know, the franchise is conscious of making clear choices you know when a comedian who turned out to be really a terrible person had like already filmed their role they like rotoscope digitally rotoscoped that dude out and replaced him with tignataro who did a great job and they did it seamlessly like they spent real money to like not further the career of like a bad person uh and and just which is an impressive act in itself so it really just feels like oh they got a game development shop they very well probably were just like well here's the models we got because like you know they're just buying character skins you know to like feed through like unreal or whatever you know just like because they've got to make a lot of this stuff so just pull ripping assets where they could and just the the sheer momentum like that is that is why systemic racism is systemic it is the default, you know, no one, no one goes, Hey, um, what about this? Uh, cause there's no time and, and there's no one whose job it is to say, Hey, what about this? 
And so, it, uh, you know, if the thing had been shorter or faster or less repetitive, I wouldn't have even noticed. So, uh, but it was those things just long enough for me to go, huh, this is weird. Yeah, that's just super, um, again, even if it's unintentional, it's incredibly frustrating and disappointing. I mean, it, 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 it doesn't surprise me because of where the game industry is right now. Like this today when we're recording, you know, there's a massive walkout at Activision Blizzard because of, you know, the fallout of the state of California suing the company last week uh, for what stands to be like just this, some really horrific acts of sex, sexism and discrimination. Uh, some of which was, you know, some stories revolving around black women that were like targeted. And then the company's response that is probably going to spark, this will probably be looked back on and seen as like the watershed moment for the labor movement in the games industry. What's going on like right now as we record this. Um, so, um, I, I wish I could be surprised. I'm definitely disappointed. And I think it doesn't serve the client well. I think if anything, that's the thing that surprises me is that is that someone in the chain said, didn't say, yo, this isn't our brand. Um, and I and I don't think it destroys everything, right? Like it, it doesn't it doesn't destroy the rest of the work. Um, but it's definitely one of those things that once you see it, you can't unsee it. And uh I don't know. If I was Zach, I'd be frustrated. Well, I, I don't want to take us too long here, but I know this is something that's yeah. come up is kind of this like this idea of like intentionality behind your kind of like choices in terms of what you want your show to do. But I think it, it goes into those design choices too and like thinking thoroughly through every decision you're making. Cause I mean this is like a just a VR thing, I guess, for you too. But like I don't if you do an immersive experience and you kind of don't think about shit like that and it's all of a sudden in your face, it like, I think it's going to harm your experience a lot more because it's, it's almost going to like provoke a much more visceral reaction. I think from someone like they kind of like see something like going on. So I think it's just important to kind of like be intentional in at literally every aspect of your show and like be thinking through and asking yourself these questions. Like, what am I doing? How does this like going to play for people? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it, the, that third act would have played uh, a lot cleaner for me if the the mix of characters had been, you know, the same throughout, right? Like, you know, the solve is just those models that they reserved for the end, if they had been like amongst all the other models and now at the end, you know, but it's, it's just, it is a, there's this design choice they made and whether someone realized it or not, they were they were further in a stereotype, um, and uh, one of the one of the oldest stereotypes in Hollywood at that. So on that cheery note, uh, <laughs> no, not not exactly not exactly what the PR team you know hopes for when they when they invite and God knows if we get invited again, um, probably not. But also who knows? Uh, that's that's uh, that's the quartet this time out. Um, anyone got any, uh, parting questions, thoughts, notes before we, uh, we go into the, the behind closed doors, jury deliberations. I got that, sounds, that sounds like a no. Okay. All right. Well, 
uh, for the entire team this time out. Uh, I want to say thanks to Kevin and Laura and Blake. Uh, the crew will be back next Wednesday, uh, same bat time, same bat channel. Uh, this will drop in the feed. And for those of you who are listening, uh, check the next episode in the feed uh, that appears after this one, where you will learn what the pick of the week for the week is going to be. Until then, thank you all for wearing the mask. <laughs>